Hi, I'm Sean Healy, and you're listening to Tools. Hi everyone, Sean Healy, NLP trainer and change agent here, and you're listening to episode 76 of Sean Healy Tools, a podcast designed to support entrepreneurial couples, people in business partnership, and anyone looking for more tips, tools, and strategies to add to the quality of your life. So welcome to episode 76 entitled, Keeping Our Romantic Relationships Healthy. Um, the demands on modern relationship are um, more extensive than probably um, at any other time in history because there's so much complexity, so much change, and so many different models of relating appearing, um, not to mention the pressure that we have in being in business and keeping up our social media commitments and our lifestyle. And all of these things can sometimes mean that our primary relationship that's just so important to us um, ends up taking a back seat or ends up not being as examined as it should be. Um, There's sometimes this fantastical idea that when we find the right person um, that we, you know, we're not going to have to to work hard. Things are just going to click. We're just going to flow. We're we're not going to misunderstand each other. We're not going to Um, struggle to acknowledge each other. We're not going to struggle with respect or anger um, or frustration um, because, you know, we click together so well. Um, Unfortunately, the reality is something very, very different. And and that shows up in some of the statistics that present talking about, you know, almost one in two first marriages now end in divorce. And those stats seem to be even higher for second marriages. You know, you'd think we'd learn and adjust, but it doesn't seem to be. um, The statistics don't necessarily reflect that. And of the 50% of marriages that stay together, I think we could um, agree that certainly not all of those um, are going to be the best and healthiest and most passionate of marriages. Some people stay together for convenience. Some people stay together because they think that's the best for their thing for their kids um, or the best for their economic situation or they don't feel they can do any better. Um, so even of the, you know, the 50% of relationships that do last, not all of them are healthy either. And so I think it's really important that we look at some of the things that can help us to keep our relationships healthy, invigorating, stable, yet passionate, um, so that, you know, we, we, we deserve these to have a wondrous relationship. We deserve to um, share our life with, with people who are special, who are dear to us and important to us. And if we choose so that, you know, we build to and add to our family system with our beloved partner. So what kind of things are we looking at here? Um, I guess one of the things that um, is places pressure on the central relationship like never before is is how demanding our culture is these days. Um, thanks to the internet and social media and email, um, the, the boundaries between work and home have never been more blurred. Um, the boundaries between you, you know what happens under our roof and and the external world have never been more more blurred. You know I can sit at home and yet. You know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, um, and there's so many distractions that that um, can 
very easily and subtly over time end up pulling us more and more away from the time and attention that our primary romantic relationship needs. And the assumption that if we meet our soulmate or our best fit person or whatever the case may be, um, that, that we won't need to work as hard, that, that's a fallacy. Um, over time, relationships, like any other era in our life, they need energy, they need attention, they need focus. We need to be able to keep coming back and reconnecting with our partner on a consistent basis. Um, but we tend to find that our primary relationship you know, is the place we often show up at, at the start in our best possible way and we, we can't wait to anticipate our, our partner's needs and meet those needs and surprise and delight them. And, you know, we're putting our best foot forward when we're trying to win somebody over, you know, and it's and nothing is too much effort. In fact, we, we don't even perceive it as effort. It's a delight to delight our partner. Um, but then something sometimes happens when we reach that stage of stability where we think we've got somebody. Um, and, and then what happens is we either start to progressively um, switch, switch, you know, shut down, switch off, go on autopilot, um, do less and less to inject rom romance into the relationship. Um, we, or, or we start to expect that the effort that we put in at the start, you know, if I, if I really do a good um, effort of um, kind of captivating this person and meeting their needs, then at some stage they're going to start meeting mine. And this can be a really disappointing phase when suddenly we go, well, I've put in all that effort and now it's time to reap the rewards. I'll sit back and now all my relational needs are going to be met by this person. Um, this can be very, very difficult um, when we're expecting other people to meet our needs, when we stop um, putting effort into the relationship as a whole, um, and, and or we start to over-focus on other areas of our life and under-focus on the relationship. You know, I become so immersed in work that all my partner now gets is my exhausted self um, or, or my preoccupied self when I come home because I'm still thinking about work. You know, I've left work physically, but I haven't left mentally. Or I've, you know, I'm consistently coming home because I'm mentally exhausted and drained. I don't want to have conversation. I just want to sit in a chair and veg out or lose myself in television or alcohol or food or, or however it is I, I numb out and shut down. And, you know, as, as long as I'm bringing home a paycheck, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fulfilling my end of, of the relationship bargain. Um, and it's important to note that especially in modern relationships, there's a dichotomy that runs here. And I really like and would encourage people to, I think someone who's really on point with this sort of stuff is the relationship expert Esther Perel and some of her her work I can't recommend highly enough, but but she talks about this, you know, the balance between stability and uh, desire um, and that the modern relationship needs to focus on both. If we're only focusing on stability, stability, um, uh, you, you know, we're making sure we're financially secure, we're putting good material things around us, um, uh, you, you know, stability requires a degree of familiarity, um, and to a degree, that's what, you know, love entails, an aspect of stability, stability, dependability and familiarity. Um, however, on the other side, desire and eroticism and, and, and life kind of energy requires something very, very different, which is mystery, 
which is surprise, innovation, um, a sense of freedom and immersiveness and unpredictability. Um, these are the elements that desire thrives on. And, and certainly in the early days, you know, the desire element when we meet someone is, is very strong and we really put the time in to foster that, that side of things. Um, whilst we try to, to move the relationship as quickly as possible to the stability phase. Um, and then we switch and then we stop doing the things that really worked at the start um, to, to bring ourselves and our partners together um, as we get more and more into the stability. And then we often go on autopilot and maybe the way we saw our family do it, um, our role models for couples, um, you know, more and more we, we revert back to what we saw in our family system. Our behaviour becomes less and less consciously um, activated and more and more unconsciously driven. Um, and we have to be able to examine the kind of unconscious roles that we fall into. You know, what kind of, what did I, what kind of messages directly and indirectly did I learn about couples and relating um, from my family system? You, you know, did I learn about equality? Did I learn about mutual respect? Did I learn ab about teamwork as a couple? What did I learn about um, having difficult conversations? What did I learn about managing differences between um, two people? What did I learn about how to have healthy and productive arguments? And if um, for some of us, unfortunately, we didn't get too much healthy stuff there. And so we might now have to outsource or have those conversations with our partner um, around, you know, what's it going to look like for us going forward? And I'm a big fan that sometimes I think, that some of the, the things that, that work well for us in business, we need to bring those things across into our relational environment. You know, sometimes we think to ourselves, oh, there's so much struggle and accountability at business. All I want to do when I get home to my relationship is just relax and go with the flow. But if we swing too far in the polarity there, that actually goes against us. It actually means that our relationship over time starts to erode, um, you know, we, we because we're... we're we're consistently not, we're avoiding the challenging conversations. We're, we're consistently just putting along in a mute state of dissatisfaction around certain things and we're not bringing ourselves or our partner to account. And so one of the things that can sometimes work very well for couples is couples meetings. Um, I know of one couple who have a quarterly meeting. They have six categories that they've broken their relationship down to. And they have a, a meeting around how they're going in those those categories. And again, there's there's a a, a mutual meeting of, of of kind of two parties where it's not like they have to get a hundred percent in all six categories, but as long as we're you know performing um, to an expected standard in at least four, then that's okay. Um, so we've got room to improve, but we're also not expecting perfectionism from our partner. We're not demanding that our partner meet all of our needs. There's a sense of shared responsibility. There's a sense of shared accountability. Um, and we're able to, you know, ha you know, periodically schedule time to have tough conversations because otherwise what happens is what we sit on, what we don't speak about comes out in those moments of high anxiety and high agitation and then we're our least skillful in, the, in, in those moments. We, we speak with our least discernment. We, 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 we have reactive conversations that often end up leaving us more wounded, more frustrated, feeling more unheard, rather than we're actually scheduling in time. You know, in, in business, 
this is an expectation. There are conversations that are uncomfortable, but we know that they can't be avoided if we want the business to survive, if we want the business to do well. And so we're scheduling in time for those. Um, Relationships are the same. We change over time. Our partner changes over time. What we want out of life changes over time. And if we're not reaching back to each other periodically and checking in and saying, how are you going? And, and that we're able to let our partner speak without getting too triggered and too personalized. You know, we're not over-personalizing what our partner says or going into blame. We've got the strength within ourselves just to hear what our partner has to say without trying to prematurely fix, without trying to um, uh, re-blame them for something. Oh, well, maybe I, I missed that, but what about the time when you, um, rather than, okay, let, let's hear where we both are at and we understand that some things are great and other things will, will not be ideal. And that's okay as long as we can find a way to kind of mutually work to a place where, um, you know, we can meet um, in, in a satisfactory enough way in the middle. But we can't do that unless we're having the conversations. And we also need to help our partner by having healthy, we've got enough courage to have healthy, healthily vulnerable conversations that say, you know, if you want to know um, what it's like for me to feel love, then this is what that looks like um, for me. It's, it's um, you know, if you do this, um, for me, then I'm going to feel that you love me. You know, we're, we're, we're making the effort to understand, um, you know, how to meet our partner's needs rather than us trying to guess. We're asking, you know, so if you did feel that I had you back and, and that you could absolutely trust me, then what, what would you have to see from me that would let you know that that's the case? Um, you know, there are things that we do um, that, that make you feel loved and supported and, and validated. Um, what, what things would you have to see from me that would really um, allow you to feel that way? Um, and I'll help you by letting you know what, what I need. And then we can have a conversation about, you know, what anxiety or resistance that might bring up for each, other, each of us and, and how would we work towards, again, meeting each other in the middle, you know, because um, it's just so important that we examine and we speak openly with our partner about some of the key things. You know, this is what I saw in my family system. You know, I, I, you know, I, I didn't see a couple um, that had a, a balanced sense of power. Um, you know, maybe dad made all the money, so dad made all the decisions, um, uh, both on the uh, professional front and on the, on the domestic front. And, and what I saw was mostly we lived dad's life um, and everybody else just got in line behind that. You know, you know, I didn't see good examples of teamwork. I didn't see good examples of healthy intimacy. Um, or, you know, I did see it from time to time and, and, and this is what it looked like to me. So we're able to talk about the culture we came from um, without feeling um, overly loyal to that culture or overly attached. You know, it was just a way to do the world. And like every family system, a family system will have things that it does really well and things that it really falls short on. And we have to be able to have those conversations as we come together as a couple and we're now forming our own system. Well, you know, how, how, do, how do I support the relationship? So we're not, you know, kind of becoming subservient to our partner, but we are acquiescing. We're, we're gently surrendering to the relationship, not the person, the other person. Um, and we're looking at the things that worked for the both of us that we did almost effortlessly and joyously at the start of the relationship 
that we've just stopped doing. What it's uh, the irony of of the doing the things that worked and got good results favorably at the start of the relationship. That for one reason or another, we just get we got distracted, we got busy, um, we 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 got too comfortable. Um, and and again, it's really recognizing that that re- relationships are, are you know are so much more transient. People are so much more willing to to and prepared to leave relationships these days that don't work for them over time. And and like I said, it's it's often for many relationships, it's a slow erosion. Um, more and more. We stop having the difficult conversations. They become too uncomfortable for us. Um, you know, we stick to more and more safe topics or we don't speak at all or we find comfortable distance. But actually, the reality of that is these are real red flags over time that our relationship may not go the distance. We have to be able to consistently reach out to each other. We have to be able to um, have potentially challenging, confronting conversations and we also have to have a level of measurability and accountability to the relationship. How will we know um, that we're meeting our relationship goals? How would we measure them? Well, one thing is that we make sure that three times a week we have dinner together without our um, laptops on, our iPads going, or our phones on. We really we take the time to, to really just be with each other um, and to just share um, about what's going on for us what, you know, where our life is at, um, we're able to have the, you know, now that might, you know, that's just an example that, you know, each couple will be different in what they find works for them, but we have to get better at finding the things that really strengthen the relationship, that really bring the invigoration back into the relationship, and how do we really find time to, to just immerse ourselves in the joy of each other and really recapture those moments of, of pleasure and eroticism and getting and getting lost in each other for for a little period of time, and understanding how important that that injection of life energy consistently into the relationship um, gives us our best chance of staying together and having long and wonderful relationships. So reach out, consistently reach out to your partner and, and have the courage and the commitment to not step away from and push down the challenging conversations, but rather that we can have those conversations from calm, non-attached places. I just want to talk about how I'm feeling, and we've got no attachment. We're not trying to control our partner. Paradoxically, that's the that's the best chance we've got that people will change. But we're speaking about uh, what's going on from us from a calm, centered place, and we're talking about us. We're not stepping out of our skin and blaming somebody else or accusing somebody else. We're keeping the language centered on ourselves, And perhaps that, that might be another um, episode at some stage to do. But I hope that this episode has given you a few insights. Um, we just, we, we have to keep showing up in our relationships. We, we just can't let our relationship consistently take a back seat um, and, and only put in token energy um, if, we, if we think that it, it's going to last. It's just such a high risk strategy. Um, and like I said, especially the way modern relationships are going, which is we're looking at much more, um, you know, I think Esther Perel says that most adults will have at least two to three significant relationships in their life. The idea of one partner for life is becoming rarer and rarer. Um, and so, you know, we need to be putting the effort in. We need to, if, if we're choosing to be in relationship with someone, we need we need to be staying present in our relationships. We need to be examining the kind of drivers 
that you know we're bringing into our relationship from what we saw in our family systems and what parts of those work to support relationships and what parts we probably need to address and move away from. So thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope um, it's been thought-provoking for you. Um, as always, those of you who've been following along the tools uh, program journey, my profoundest gratitude. And if you've just joined us, um, the way you can support the show, go to iTunes, download, subscribe, and leave a five-star rating, please, as it makes it easier for other people to find the program. And I'm really passionate about sharing some of these things that help us to have better quality uh, lifestyle and business experiences. Um, also, uh, you're welcome to reach out at the website, emergencetraining.com.au. Always happy to take um, uh, episode requests. If it's, an epi- if it's a topic I feel I know enough about on, or at least a, enough to speak on, then I'll certainly do it. And yeah, it certainly helps me. Um, I do in-house trainings for businesses around people dynamics, as well as public-based trainings and then one-to-one work with individuals too. So please come to the website, check us out um, and the kinds of things we've got on there or, you know, reach out, say hi um, and um, delighted to kind of have a chat. Um, So thank you for listening to the episode um, and um, hope you will join us on other ones. And until the next episode, bye for now.